Amen. It's good to see you all this morning, church. If uh, I haven't met you before, I'm Ben. I'm part of the staff team, and it's my pleasure to continue on in this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you've got your Bibles here today, we'll be opening up 1 Thessalonians. We'll be starting off in chapter 2, verse 17, and then we'll be working our way through down to the end of chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up, 2, verse 17, down to the end of chapter 3. Does anyone here know the name Timothy Keller? Timothy Keller, quite a few people, I'm not surprised. Timothy Keller, he's a, a very influential um, pastor and author. Uh, he's about 70 years old now. And he tells a story about how at the beginning of his ministry, he was posted to a church in the south of America. And uh, it was at this church, it was in this smaller town, there was one hospital there, there was about 300 beds. And he met this older pastor at that hospital. He'd heard about this pastor in the town. He'd had a long ministry there and he wanted to get to know him a bit more and learn from him. And as he met with him at the front entrance of this hospital for about 15 or 20 minutes as people came in or came out, this pastor, this older pastor, knew each of them by name. And he was astonished. So, so Timothy made a remark about this to this older guy. And the older pastor said to him, hey, Timothy, there's something I've been meaning to say to you. You probably come out of seminary, you probably think, you know, the Bible's original languages, Hebrew and Greek, and you think you're going to preach these amazing sermons that are just going to change people's lives. Well, let me tell you something, Tim. You're not going to change anyone unless they know that you love them. You're not going to change anyone unless they know that you love them. Now, it's kind of a little bit of a hit to his pride at the time, but he said, looking back, he was absolutely right. He was absolutely correct. And that's, that's what this passage is about. You see, as we open up this passage, we see that Paul and his co-workers, they're at pains to tell the Thessalonians that they love them, that they care about them, because they know that ministry without love is fruitless, even destructive. He knows that if people feel you are trying to help them or change them for any other reason than simple love, they're not going to take it. You're not going to change anyone unless they know that you love them. This passage that we're opening up today is kind of like the twin brother to what Adam preached on a couple of weeks ago. He preached on a passage at the beginning of chapter two. And in it, Paul and his co-workers are reminding the Thessalonians about how they did ministry, how they did their work among the Thessalonians. And Adam drew out four signs of authentic ministry from that passage. He talked about how in authentic ministry, there is willingness to suffer, faithfulness to the gospel, sacrificial love and care, and encouragement to grow. Now, if Adam's passage, that sort of twin brother passage, was about how to do healthy ministry, our passage today is about how we should feel in healthy ministry. So Adam's about how to do it, and ours is about how we should feel. By the way, if you don't already realize, all of us have a ministry. Not just the pastor, not just the minister, but all of us. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how we're the body of Jesus. We're all made differently. Some of us are ears, some of us are feet. We all have a part to play. We all have a ministry to one another. And so this is going to teach us today about how we should feel as we're serving and helping others. Because the truth is, we're not going to help anyone 
really help them unless we're doing it out of love for them. So if you're a Christian or not here today, I think this passage is important for you. Because if you have even an ounce of love in you for others, you've wrestled with how to help people, how to help people change and move forward. Maybe there's a, a brother or a sister in your life that you love and they're making poor life decisions and you want to help them, but you're not sure how to do that without alienating them. Maybe you've got a friend who is down in the dumps. They're down on life. They're feeling a bit depressed and you're, you wanna know how to help them. Maybe you've got a loved one who has a gambling problem or an anger problem or a control issue and you wrestle with how do I help them? How do I help them change? Well, that's what this passage is about. All of us are interested in how people change so all of us can benefit from Paul's example in this passage because whether you like him or not, he was this foreigner who traveled through Roman cities and towns, went in there, nobody knew him, went in there with this unpalatable, unpalatable message called the gospel and said, this Jewish guy was crucified by the Romans and he's actually the Messiah and Lord of all. And people's lives were transformed. People reoriented their lives around Jesus. Churches were started by the grace of God Paul had a massive impact on people's lives. And I think this passage sort of gives us a behind the scenes look at one of the reasons why he genuinely loved these people. He had an emotionally healthy ministry. And that's what we're going to look at, what it looks like to have an emotionally healthy ministry this morning. And there are four things that come out of our passage, four things that we see in emotionally healthy ministry. And the first is, in emotionally healthy ministry, people are becoming more valuable to you. The people themselves are becoming more valuable to you. In chapter two, verse 17, to the end of that chapter, we read, Paul says this, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. This little section here, it's just full of emotion. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're just trying as hard as they can to communicate to the Thessalonians how they really feel about them. They've been separated for a while now and they want them to know that they're only separated in body, but not in thought, that they love these guys. They use a few peculiar words in this passage to get this across. The first word is in verse 17, where it says, we were orphaned. It's a little bit odd because it sounds like Paul and Silas and Timothy are referring to themselves as the children of the Thessalonians. That could be the case, but that Greek word there in the ancient world, um, orf, to be orphaned doesn't just, as in the modern day, refer to the child's experience of being separated from their parents, but it can refer to the parents' experience of being separated from their children. So like, like a father, he's been orphaned from these children and, and it especially places an emphasis on the pain 
that is felt there. He's saying, we've been torn away from you guys. You're like children to us. We've been orphaned from you. And then at the end of verse 17, it says, out of our intense longing. That word longing there, it's kind of a weird word that he's used. It's the Greek word epithumia. Now, the reason that's weird is because most of the time for the New Testament, it's used negatively. It's used to refer to lust or craving after something. But there's a few times where it's used positively well, and he uses it here to say, we've craved your presence. It's quite an intense way to tell people how much you love them, you want to see them. And it's a healthy craving. It's the craving, it's the desire, the longing that a parent has to be reunited with a child that they've lost. In verse 18, Paul explains why he hasn't been back. He says, Satan blocked our way. Now, scholars speculate about what exactly is going on there. We don't know for sure, but I think one of the most likely options is what we have from reading our Bibles. Uh, In Acts chapter 17, we read about Paul and Silas and Timothy's experience in Thessalonica. They were preaching. Some people started following Jesus. They got driven out of town. And when this angry mob started, they were going to oppose this message. They couldn't find Paul and Silas and Timothy, so they dragged Jason and some other believers before the officials in Thessalonica. And the the officials made, it says in Acts chapter 17, that they made Jason post a bond. Now, probably he gave some money or something like that, and he had to guarantee that perhaps he was not going to host Paul and Silas and Timothy. Something like that was going on probably that the officials were blocking their way, that Satan was using the opposition there to make it difficult for Paul to return. Whatever the case, Satan was opposing this. He hates it when people find life in Jesus. And one of his strategies here is not just to stop Paul from coming back, but more than that, is to make the Thessalonians believe that Paul and these guys didn't really care about them, didn't really love them. Because the gospel is less believable when the people preaching it to you don't seem to love you. The gospel is less believable when when the people who are preaching it to you, you you don't believe that they really love you. So Satan's trying to get them to believe this, but Paul is saying that's not the case. And then in verse 19 to 20, he says things that are kind of ridiculous. He says, you guys are our crown, our hope, our glory, our joy. He says in verse 19, in some translations, probably better to say, in which we will boast in the presence of our Lord Jesus. Now, that doesn't sound like the most Christian thing to do, to boast. But Paul's not a fool. He knows that the ultimate credit goes to God. He says that later on in chapter 3, that in verse 9, that he thanks God for what's happened to them. But what he's saying basically is, in layman's terms, he's saying, you guys are my pride and joy. You're my children, you're my pride and joy. And when Jesus comes and and he says, Paul, what have you done with the gifts you've been given, with the ministry I've entrusted you with? He's going to point to the Thessalonians and say, look at these guys. Look at how radiant they are. Look at how beautiful they've become. Look at the people they've become through the gospel. Here's the evidence of my ministry. He's telling them, you guys are so valuable to me. You mean everything to me when Jesus returns. In my pride and joy. In emotionally healthy ministry, people are becoming more valuable to you. And I just want to ask you, 
to consider that this morning. What is it that you really value? What takes up most of your thought world during the day? When you go to sleep, when you rise from the bed in the morning? What are you really thinking about? Maybe for you, it might be your success as a person or your career. Or maybe for you, it's just getting through the day. The day is already so full and you've just got to fulfill that duty. Another question I have is, what, what is in your prayers? What is regularly in your prayers? Because that might tell you as well what you really value. What are you praying for? Are you praying for people in your church? Are you praying for the relationships in your life to know Jesus and love Jesus? When we're emotionally healthy towards our relationships, towards the people that we're caring for, it's the people that are becoming more valuable to us. That's the first thing that we see in this passage. The second thing that we see in emotionally healthy ministry is that you're willing to make personal sacrifices for others. You're willing to make personal sacrifices for others. So in verses one to five, this is what Paul and his co-workers say. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. I'll stop reading there. In this passage, in this section, Paul is telling these guys what he's sacrificed for their sake. In emotionally healthy ministry, you're willing to make personal sacrifices for others. And the first thing he points to is that they sacrificed the company of Timothy. Now, that was a big deal because Paul's ministry, as you know, was difficult. Before he came to, was driven out of Thessalonica and the town before that, he was put in prison, put in stocks with a, without even a trial to show whether he was guilty or not. He had a difficult ministry. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he calls Timothy his true son in the faith. Timothy was like a, a son to him. Timothy was so valuable to him. So imagine in that difficult kind of ministry, having to give up this valuable person who gives you strength and encouragement and send them back to Thessalonica, send them back on those ancient roads, which were dangerous, where he could die along the way or be opposed again in Thessalonica. This was a sacrifice for him. It's kind of like Paul's been orphaned twice. He's, he's lost the Thessalonians and now he's willing to, to give up Timothy's presence to go and be with them as well. And he's pointing this out. He's letting the Thessalonians know, this is what we gave up to strengthen you in your faith so that you would stand firm in these trials. And I love how in chapter three as well, in verse four, he says, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. I love that because he was willing to say the difficult things. He was willing to tell them what they might not want to hear because he was not simply about them liking him. He wasn't looking for popularity. He was looking for the well-being of their souls. He wanted to strengthen them in their faith. He wanted to prepare them for what really comes when you follow Jesus. When you're in emotionally healthy ministry, you're willing to make personal sacrifices for others. And that's another question that all of us can consider this morning. 
What are we willing to, to sacrifice for others? Are you willing to sacrifice a bit of your time after the service to, to spend time with others in your church, to encourage them? Maybe to, to look for someone who's standing by themselves and to just introduce yourself to them and make them feel welcome. Are you willing to, to give money away for the good of others? I don't care if it's here or somewhere else, but are you giving money towards the good of others? What are you willing to sacrifice for others? Because emotionally healthy ministry where you love people, it will slowly bring that out of you. It's kind of like when it comes to my children, my sons. I love and care for my sons. So most of the time, not always, but most of the time, I'm happy to change their nappies and to you know, make their beds and to bath them and to clothe them and let Silas scream in my ear while I'm holding him and trying to comfort him or whatever. I'm willing to do that because I love them. I want to see them healthy and happy. When they're healthy and happy, I'm happy. When, when they're sad or in pain, I'm sad. And that's what happens in emotionally healthy ministry. That's what happens when you love someone, when you're doing ministry out of love for them, your joy becomes linked to their well-being. Your joy becomes linked to their well-being. And that's the third thing we discover in our passage today. The more you give yourself to others in ministry, the more you will love them and the more you'll find that your joy is increasingly linked to the well-being of their soul. Verses six to nine in chapter three, Paul says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because, not just because you guys have pleasant memories of us, not because you like us still, because of your faith. For now we really live, why? Since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? I love that little section there. Paul is like a father who's been separated from his children. He's worrying about their well-being. And when he finds out they're okay, a wave of relief comes over him and he just starts praising God, thanking God. But it's important to note, <clears throat> sorry, what he's actually joyful about. If you're a parent and you lose your child at a shopping center, you're probably concerned immediately for their physical well-being. You're wondering, are they okay? Have they been lost? Have they been hurt? Have they been taken? And as soon as they come back to you, you take them into your arms and a wave of relief floods over you. Or maybe if you're honest, it's a wave of anger that they could have left your side, but I'm hoping it's the relief side of things. But relief is flooding over Paul for a different reason. He doesn't have the Thessalonian children back in his arms again. They're still separate. They're still in a dangerous city to be a Christian. They're still being persecuted. They're still suffering. But Paul is rejoicing because, verse 8, they are standing firm in the Lord. It's not that their physical well-being doesn't matter. It's just that he knows that their relationship with Jesus is what matters most, especially in the face of death. Because Jesus has conquered death. 
and he is the only safe place for you and for me. And emotionally healthy ministry recognizes this. It recognizes that people's souls matter to God. We see this in other ministries over church history as well. There's this one guy, his name's John Chrysostom. He was a preacher in the fourth century. He was nicknamed Golden Mouth because he was such a famous preacher. He was a, he was a great preacher. And uh, he once said this to his church. He said, there is nothing I love more than you. No, not even light itself. I would gladly have my eyes put out 10,000 times over if it were possible by this means to convert your souls. So much is your salvation dearer to me than light itself. This one thing is the burden of my prayers that I long for your advancement. But that in which I strive with all is this, that I love you, that I am wrapped up in you, that you are my all, father, mother, brethren, children. Amazing, amazingly loving. Another great preacher from the 19th century, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he says, I live by your spiritual joy to his church. I suffocate on your spiritual indifference. I choke to death on your spiritual misery. I'm tied to you. I can't help it. I want you to know, church, that the leaders here, the staff, the elders, the deacons, that we love you, that we care about you guys. I hear it in their prayers when we pray for you together. I see it in their face when they hear about your bad news, your suffering, your illness, your difficulties. We love you. We care for you. We're becoming increasingly tied to you. Now, we do not love you perfectly. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus can give you that. But we are becoming more and more tied to you. And, and when you're not going well, or when you are walking away from the path Jesus has for you, when you're walking away from him, it, it hurts us. We want the well-being of your soul. We want the well-being of your soul. In emotionally healthy ministry, your joy is increasingly linked to the well-being of others. And you know, thinking about when our joy is triggered in our relationships is a really good test for understanding how much of our hearts we've put into the relationship. Because there's a sense in which <clears throat> you can overdo it. You can give your heart so much that you're like worshiping the other person. You need them to like you. And there's a sense in which you can underdo it that you're so cold and detached that you're not really emotionally moved by whatever they're going through. And when we look at our joy in our relationships, it's a good little test because if you've given too much of yourself, you're usually overjoyed when they like you. If you've given too little of yourself, you're overjoyed when they stay away from you. I don't know what exactly it is there. <laughs> but we can keep distance between our hearts. And <clears throat> when you've given... When you haven't given enough of yourself to others, they're only just acquaintances to you. They're just people that you smile and wave to on a Sunday, but their pain, their difficulty doesn't really touch your emotions. And when you live like that, your relationships end up becoming transactional. Ends up becoming about a transaction, like you do this for me if I do, and I'll do this for you sort of thing. I like how you make me feel in this circumstance, but don't tell me any more of your mess because I'm not really here for that. They become transactional. When you give too much of yourself to people, it becomes a bit icky. You become dependent on them to validate you. 
your help for them no longer becomes about actually helping them. It becomes about you and what they say about you and what they feel about you. In emotionally healthy ministry, your joy is increasingly linked to the well-being of their soul, not how they can benefit you, not how they can validate you, but the well-being of their soul. And Paul avoided these extremes. How do I know that? Well, although he seems over his head in love with his church, he hasn't actually lost his mind. He hasn't gone overboard because he's still able to give them the tough truths about expecting persecution like we talked about before. And then he says in verse 10, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Saying, basically he's saying, we're praying so hard. We wanna see you so that we can correct you. <laughs> we're excited to tell you about where you've got it wrong. We're excited to tell you about what you're still lacking. You see, he loves them like a father loves his children, but he's not afraid to tell them what they need to hear because he genuinely loves them. He's not given too much of himself away. He's not given too little of himself away. He's given them his heart, but his heart still belongs to the Lord, ultimately. In emotionally healthy ministry, your joy is increasingly linked to the well-being of their soul. The fourth and final thing we see in emotionally healthy ministry is that you're praying for those people regularly. You're praying for those people regularly. I think that's pretty simple because that happens when you love someone. Anyway, let's read what it says in verses 10 to 13. It says this, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You pray because you love them, they're coming up in your heart and your mind, and you pray because you know that you can't be their solution, you can't be their hero, they need Jesus. You're not dependent on them valuing you, you just want them to know Jesus, so you pray to Jesus for them. Jesus is their solution and he's our solution too. I don't know about you, but these four things sound pretty difficult, but Jesus is the one who enables them to do them and Jesus is the one who shows us how to do them. He's our model. It's possible because Jesus's love for you is so abundant that it fills your heart with the resources you need to go out and minister to others. And Jesus' example is so inspiring that it gives you a model to chase and follow as you help others in that way. I mean, think about it. Jesus is the true example of emotionally healthy ministry. He didn't stay aloof in heaven and conduct transactions with us. He didn't get depressed and tap out when people opposed him, disliked him, even crucified him. His love wasn't dependent on our validation. His love was genuine, overflowing, and unbreakable for you and for me. How do we know? Well, the cross is the proof. The cross is our proof because even in that horrendous, atrocious situation of crucifix crucifixion, Jesus still had joy in his heart over what he would accomplish through it. You and I are that valuable to him. 
Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy in his heart helped him endure it, helped him to make the ultimate sacrifice. And what was that joy? It was the joy of seeing you whole. It was the joy of seeing you on the other side of the cross, fully human. It was the joy of seeing you in the new creation, knowing the Father's love, dancing, singing for joy, because all of the bad things in your life have come untrue, because Jesus is that good, and his new creation is that beautiful, and his love is that amazing. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, chose the cross for you and for me. And this is why Jesus lived and breathed to save you and me, to save us from the reign of death, from the reign of sin, which makes us miserable and less than human. Jesus lived and breathed and gave up his life at the cross to pay the penalty for the injustices we've done and we've participated in and to make sure our soul would be well, so well, year after year after year, into eternity. Thank you, Jesus. And you know what? This is something that amazes me. Even right now, Jesus still prays for you and for me. Romans 8, Hebrews, it says in these places that Jesus is our intercessor. He's our great high priest. He's making intercession for you and for me. So he's standing in the throne room of heaven He's not just sitting there waiting. He's standing there and he's praying for his children in Bray Park Community Church, praying that the Father would keep us, praying that the Spirit would fill us, that we would know his love, that we would endure, that we would persevere to the end of our lives in our faith in the gospel and in our love for others. Jesus is praying for you and for me. You and I are called to do emotionally healthy ministry by genuinely loving others, by valuing them, by sacrificing them, by giving our hearts and becoming linked to them, by praying for them. And the reason we can do this without crashing and burning is because Jesus has done this all and more for us. Church, when we receive the love of Jesus and let it move us out into ministry for others, we will increasingly become a place of refreshment for people, a place of life for people. I'm seeing that happening here and I'm encouraged, but I just wanna share a story about a church in another place in the globe, in America, in Nashville. It's a church called Emmanuel Church. We've quoted from the pastor there a few times, Ray Ortland. He's increasingly becoming a bit of a ministry hero for me. And this one guy, his name's Barnabas Piper. People know John Piper? probably know John Piper. This is his son, Barnabas. In about 2016, he went through a divorce. And you can imagine how, how, how much turmoil he would have experienced, how difficult that would have been, especially as the son of this great Christian hero, John Piper. The shame that might be tied up in that, having to, having to perform as a Christian and, and having divorced and, and failed in his marriage. So he felt a lot of shame he felt he was suffering. He was right at the end of himself. And he talks about how he was living in Nashville. He was going to another church, but he heard about Emmanuel Church. And growing up, he knew that church should have a prominent role in his life, but he was just done. He was just exhausted. 
Anyway, he went to a conference and he had lunch with another pastor there and he told him, look, get a grip of yourself. Just go along to this church, give it a try and see how you go. And he went along to Emmanuel Nashville and over the course of one or two years, he just experienced profound healing. He just experienced refreshment as people genuinely loved him for him there, that they accepted him. They didn't shame him, they accepted him. They shared the gospel with him. And he could just rest, receive the gospel, and be restored in God's love. I just think that's beautiful. And that's what God is doing here as well, because I can personally testify that there are people here who have come from difficult situations, people here who have come from dysfunctional church backgrounds where they've been hurt by the church, and here they've just been able to breathe, be themselves, be loved, be accepted, be genuine, not hired, but receive the gospel of God's love for them and discover refreshment and healing. Just so encouraged to see that that's going on here in our church. And we will continue to see that develop just like it has in Emmanuel Church in Nashville, all across the globe as God's spirit is working. We'll see that develop here as we embrace Jesus' love for us and embrace emotionally healthy ministry together. Ministry with love is beautiful and effective. Jesus practiced it and he gives us the full resources of the Holy Spirit to help us do it here as well. So let's come before God and ask his spirit to help us do that. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we just thank you that you are the most emotionally healthy person in the universe. When I say that, Lord, I mean that you are love, full stop. You are love and, and your love will never be dissuaded. Your love will never be discouraged, even by our messiness, our brokenness, our wandering, even by our disobedience, Lord, your love remains rock solid. It is infinite. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you demonstrated that love at the cross by taking our place, by dying the death that we should have died so that we could live whole, human, forever. Jesus, we, we just receive what you did for us afresh this morning. Help us to just put our faith in that, to have the audacity to believe that God took on human flesh and died in our place for our sins to save us and to make us new. We believe that, Lord. And we pray that as you fill our hearts afresh, that we would be moved out in love towards others. Help us to do emotionally healthy ministry with one another, with people in our workplace, with people in our families and friendship groups. Help us to help others out of simple love for them. Not to get something from them, not to get them to like us, but to simply love their souls because you died for them, Jesus. We give ourselves to you. We thank you that you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things because we have your precious spirit in us. We thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.